Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome into part two on this uh, series or this episode on mastering your emotions and resetting your vibrational set point. We're going to talk more about set point in this episode. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode where I talk about mastering your emotions or mastering your vibration, I suggest you go back and listen to that first. It may give you some context for this episode. Now, as I was queuing this up, I did get a a thought popped in my head, it's got to be my intuition, to address or talk about toxic positivity. Now, this has been something that has come up in the vernacular, in pop psychology, on TikTok, and all these different people that talk about toxic uh, positivity. It's a two-sided sword. One is, how do you address other people? If somebody else talks about or has a complaint, has a problem, Do you just say, like, raise your vibration or it'll all go away and it's all in your perspective, it's not that bad? That is not necessarily addressing or accepting the other person. It's not giving them the latitude or the compassion that they're asking for. So you don't want to do that. That's toxic to your relationship. And oftentimes people do that when they're not present to or can't be present to their own pain. We have emotions that are less than desirable or less than comfortable, less than, um, and just, they just don't feel good. And I've, I've addressed this before. My particular point, stance, my particular point of view is that every emotion needs to be acknowledged. It's coming up for a reason typically from a perspective that we've adopted from a way that we're looking at it or we're, we're talking about it in our head, the position we choose to relate to or how we choose to relate to a situation, we end up feeling something. So in acknowledging that feeling, we're acknowledging an aspect of ourself or a subpersonality aspect of the whole. We're not disowning it. When we don't acknowledge another person's pain, or we don't acknowledge our own pain, our own mucky-muck feelings, then we are disowning a part of ourselves. We're basically saying, you're not valuable enough to give attention to. That is unconditional. Remember when I said that the way we evolve our vibration to raise our vibration is to direct, reflect unconditional love on many times the undesirable aspects of ourselves or the way most people talk about it, or some people talk about it, as the shadow self. So when we take the position of not acknowledging our own pain, not acknowledging our mucking-muck feelings, not allowing ourselves to process through them or to transmute them, then we are practicing what's been called toxic positivity. In other words, it's also been referred to as the spiritual bypass, You don't want to be with those lower vibration feelings, so you're going to take the bypass, you're going to ignore them and take the high road, take the high vibe perspective. And again, you're not owning or not acknowledging that aspect of yourself, and you create yourself as less than. 
you have the feeling like you're not enough, you're less than, it's because of your own perspective, your own unwillingness to accept all parts of you. Oh, is that heavy? Again, you're responsible, responsible for how you feel, for your vibration. Not to say that you won't be impacted by outside events, but when you are, you acknowledge it, you accept it, you did the best you can with the resources you have. Next time, next time you can do something different. You see, you can never, coulda, shoulda done anything other than the way you did it. Because if you could have, you would have. If you could have took a more benevolent approach, if you could have taken a more esteemed behavior and put it into practice, you could have, you would have. Now, I know some of you say, well, I knew I was doing wrong when I did it. But there was an aspect of yourself that you couldn't stop. That's the aspect that needs to be addressed. That's the aspect that needs to be addressed with love. Because that aspect is obviously a little more powerful than your reasoning, a little bit more powerful than your your wanting to do the right thing. I once had a client who habitually cheated on her husband. She didn't want to. She didn't value that. She valued monogamy. She valued her promise to her husband. Yet she said she couldn't help herself. Even though she felt she was doing wrong, she knew she was doing wrong or doing the thing that she wasn't supposed to when she was doing it. For some reason, she couldn't help herself. So I asked her, when you're having these other relationships, what need or want is being fulfilled? And it was attention. It was feeling desired. It was that she was important, that she was lovable. You see, these are pretty strong drives. But because she didn't have her own internal frame of reference to know that she was lovable, that she was valuable, she sought that validation outside of her. Obviously, her husband wasn't giving it in the way that she wanted it, so she sought it outside of herself. Once we set up the criteria so she could look in the mirror and know that she was lovable, know that she was valuable, know that she was appreciated, that she appreciated herself, there was aspects of herself that she disowned. And because she did that for herself, she needed that to be supplemented by outside attention. Once she set up the criteria in herself that she could gauge her behavior, gauge her self-esteem from her own internal standards, be inner-directed, once she did that, she was able to go to her husband and say, these are the needs that I have that are not being met. Well, it turned out that he really didn't want to meet them. And so rather than be a slave to some promise that she made to somebody that wasn't willing to keep his side of the bargain or provide her with that, those feelings or that attention, and it's really just being loving, when he said, that's not a priority of mine, then she was able to make the decision and she ended up deciding to leave. But at least she wasn't compromising her values. She wasn't undermining her own self-esteem in an attempt to keep some promise that wasn't really discussed. It was an implied agreement. And once she addressed it, she was able to make an empowered decision. Now, I've told that story for probably two reasons. One, somebody needed to hear it. And two, it's the idea that all our behavior is benevolent in nature. We just don't do things 
to be or self-sabotage. It serves us on some level. So when we can acknowledge it and we, we address the underlying need, the underlying want, and figure out a way that we can provide that for ourselves or in a different way, then that behavior typically goes away. So since I address toxic positivity and just acknowledging your feelings again, let's talk about your vibrational set point. When you wake up in the morning, how do you know how to feel about yourself, how to feel about the day? Is it just show up? Is it do you make decisions around it? Do you decide that today you're going to have a great day or you just kind of let things unfold the way they unfold? How you typically feel day in, day out. Not to say that you're not going to have highs and you're not going to have lows, but when things kind of balance out, that is your emotional set point. That is your vibrational set point. That's where you resonate on a day in, day out basis. It's the consistent feeling that you have. That typically has been trained by you, accepted by you. In the last episode, I talked about us being a psychic soma being. We're both animal and mind. Uh, the, The soma, the aspect of our body, is the animal aspect. It has its own drives, its own needs. And then we have our psychic aspect, our spiritual aspect. We are both spirit and animal in the same entity. And when push comes to shove, the animal overrules the spirit. In fact, there's a well-known Bible quote that addresses this. It's the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So as we move forward, I want you to peg this idea or pin this idea in on the board that we'll address later. And that is that we need to address the animal first in order for it to be on board for the rest of us. But for the most part, You have the feeling state that you have, the habitual set point, your habitual way of being in the world, your vibrational set point. You have it in place because you have not been, by and large, responsible for your thoughts and your actions. You have been more reactive in the world, reactive in your life, than generative or proactive. One way to illustrate this is how people tend to fall in love. A lot of people feel like you can't help who you fall in love with. It's just they're looking for the one. They're looking for the one to push those buttons to activate a sense of attraction, to captivate their attention. And while some of that may seem happenstance, when we look at it from a neuro-linguistic point of view, there are specific things that you do in your head In the process of falling in love, you tend to associate or connect yourself, connect great and beautiful feelings to certain aspects of their behavior. You amplify and appreciate seemingly mundane aspects of their personality, you know, when they call or their tone of voice, and you associate all these positive feelings to that behavior, to them. And in the process, they are more attractive to you. And for some people, if your sense of self isn't that well developed, if you don't have that inner criteria to feel appreciated for yourself, if somebody else 
gives you loving attention. If they appreciate you, suddenly their esteem, their value is elevated because they provide something for you that you're not willing to give yourself. And in this respect, we love people just because they love us. And I can say, raising my hand, been there, done that earlier in my life until I realized the fault of that and how empty it is. But getting back to this process is that in our mind, we associate, we bring close, in other words, we bring close those aspects that we find attractive, that we have deemed attractive. We blow them out of proportion. They're bigger than life. We think about them repeatedly again and again because we like that dopamine hit that we get from doing that. And so it's not them, but how we're choosing to perceive them. And that feeling of love is generated within us. How often have you been in a relationship in the past and been totally head over heels in love with somebody only three months later or a year later or five years later to be in complete wonder, what did I ever find attractive about them? Because your focus has changed, your focus of attention has shifted. And in a moment, I'll talk about how we fall out of love. But the other flip side, the other illusion that we have around love is that, you know, maybe the relationship ends and we weren't ready for it to end, but we look at their behavior today and we wonder, did they ever really love us? And in some respects, they didn't. They didn't love you the way you wanted to be loved, but you took aspects of their behavior, aspects of their persona, and you amplified those and made those mean that they loved you. But once they took those away or once their behavior was in conflict to that, suddenly that relationship doesn't even feel like it was real. Like You misled yourself. And again, I raised my hand, been there, done that, did that before, and you've probably done it yourself. And so now let's talk about how we fall out of love. How how does it get to a point where you are head over heels with somebody today and then down the road is like all you can see are their complaints. All you can see are their faults. It's because you stopped associating and appreciating those positive aspects about them and you began focusing on the things you didn't like, the things that you perceived were their faults the behaviors that were not in alignment with what you thought they should be, you begin focusing on the things that you didn't like or don't like. And so through your focus, you've been creating dis-ease in your relationship. You focus on, categorize, catalog all the reasons why they are not a match for you. And so as a consequence, that becomes your reality. That becomes your experience. And as we stack those, those experiences, as we stack those reasons and rationale in our head, we accumulate a list to where it gets really heavy, and it will tip the scale. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's the threshold that we cross the threshold. There's just too much pain. I can't handle it anymore. And the thing is, it's been all in your accounting. It's been all in your perception that has created where the scales have tipped. You're not going to take it anymore. You've reached a point of no return. And typically that's when people end it. It's when they, they stop caring. They stop moving forward in that relationship. 
So the reason I brought this up on how we fall in love and how we fall out of love is to put the locus of control in your hands. That feeling of falling in love and falling out of love has been based on what you've chosen to focus on. And sometimes their behavior really doesn't match the way you want it to. But again, that's you noticing the things that you don't want in your life. But it is incumbent upon you if you've entered into an agreement with someone to recognize, do I feel about this person based on the things I've chosen to look at? And am I looking at it through accurate eyes? And if I was to amplify and appreciate the positive aspects of this person, would it offset the faults that are there, the faults that I seem to be seeing or the only faults that I can look at? Again, this is your ability to use your self-reflexive consciousness to determine, are you dealing with the reality? Are your perceptions accurate? Is this a possibility for you or is it just in the way you're looking at things? So I suggest to you this process of falling in and out of love How are you doing that in your day-to-day life? Is it possible for you to fall in love with life? If you were to think about it a particular way or think about it in a different way, if you were to be appreciative of different aspects of your life that perhaps you've taken for granted, are you focusing on just the downside, the lack, the the insufficiency? This is where you can bring self-awareness in just by looking at how this translates. So let me tie this back again to psychic soma being, psychic meaning mind. So the different aspects of your vibration are controlled by how you use your mind, the thoughts you think, the things you repeatedly say to yourself, how you choose to see the world, the frames you use to represent or to frame experience. And then on the somatic side of this vibrational equation is how you use your body. Do you exercise? Do you get enough activity? Are are you stimulated? Are you touched enough? Do you touch yourself enough? Do you nurture yourself? These all impact your vibration. And so these habitual thoughts, these habitual behaviors and actions lead towards a persistent feeling state or a persistent vibrational state. Now, you can affect and change different aspects of this. You can ask, you know, change it from the mental aspect. You can say affirmations. You can think new thoughts. You can change your perspective or your mindset about how you're going to perceive the world. It can also change how you move your body and not only how you move your body, but also how you feed your body. How much sleep are you allowing yourself? So on the mental side, what we choose to pay attention to becomes the filter by which we begin to perceive the world. One of the first episodes I did in The Aligned Self is your internal GPS, and that is the reticular activating system. It is a network of systems in the brain when conditioned by a set of criteria, programmed by a set of criteria, sometimes from your childhood, sometimes just by conscious choice, you tend to filter your experience to filter out and filter in certain stimuli. So meaning that there's certain things you'll pay attention to and certain things you won't based on your focus. How this works, and we've all experienced, is that there's so many stimuli out there that your brain, your subconscious mind, will filter out things that it considers non-essential. Again, that is given by our programming. 
If you're looking for a new car and you decide on a particular make and model because you think that, you know, there's not that many of them out there. But once you focus on them, once it becomes in your awareness, maybe you even buy it, you begin seeing that make and model and sometimes that very color of car on virtually every street corner. They were always there. They have always been there, but they just weren't on your radar before this. This also explains that when you begin focusing on the negative attributes and faults of a loved one of a person, that becomes the only thing that you can see because your reticular activating system begins filtering every aspect of their behavior for only the things you think fit your paradigm. This is also referred to as the confirmation bias. These are the neurological things that are going on in our brain. This aspect is also why I ask you and have implored upon you in the past whenever there's a disappointing uh, event that takes place that you ask the question, what does this now make possible? How does this serve me? That begins orienting your mind to looking for how does this serve me? And you start coming up with reasons and rationales why it serves you. If you take on the belief, and this is like we can believe anything we want. If we're going to choose the belief that the world, the universe is always working on our behalf, everything's working out for us, you begin taking a look at everything that happens and asking yourself the question, how does this serve me? And you start changing and shifting your perception. You start changing in perception, raising your vibration because you're now reacting in an empowered way in your environment. Through affirmations, you can begin repeating things that you want to believe. And even if you don't believe them yet, if you keep saying them over and over and over again, like these questions, repeating, and there's ways to to implement and integrate this into your brain even faster. But if you just make a practice of saying good things to yourself, you begin to shift your experience of life because you've shifted your perspective and the, the circumstances that show up for you. You actually don't pay attention to the things that don't serve you. And so, as I said earlier, we are a psychic soma being. There's a psychosomatic loop, meaning that how you use the mind affects the body. How you use the body affects the mind. They are biochemically interdependent, meaning that how you feel at any given moment is a reflection of your biochemistry. Dopamine, serotonin, if you don't know these things, begin to look them up. But dopamine and serotonin are feel-good chemicals. Endorphins are feel-good chemicals. Endorphins actually get its name from morphine because they attach in the body to the same receptors that morphine, the drug, does. The endorphins, which are neuropeptides, they're produced in your body. Ounce for ounce, they're 200 times more powerful than the drug itself. See, all this stuff you create inside. You have the perfect pharmacy inside your body in right in just the right doses in what you need, and you never get overdosed on your own stuff because your body knows how to balance it out because in the end, you're always coming back to homeostasis or that balance point, that neutral point. And that's where you tend to live in that neutral point. You'll have highs, and lows, 
but you always come back to neutral. Now, that's referred to that neutral point is considered homeostasis. You have a physical homeostasis. You have a set of parameters inside your body that your body, your subconscious mind, will do whatever it takes to maintain this this range of acceptable standards, acceptable environment by which you can survive. For instance, if you don't have enough serum calcium or calcium in your blood, your body will rob calcium from your bones in order to supply the serum calcium in your blood to maintain the cellular communication because calcium is one of those minerals that helps enhance communication between cells. Your blood is also 9% saline, meaning that it's just slightly salty. Your sweat is salty. You can taste that. But an IV drip, they just don't put plain water in you. They put an IV drip, which is 9% saline, which your body absorbs and utilizes. It helps increase the volume of your blood, the, the volume of your entire system helps hydrate you. That's why water is so important, because everything moves through water. Now, what's interesting, and this homeostasis aspect is so important. See, your body will adapt to changing situations. If you live in an environment where you don't get much water, say in the desert, then your body begins to adapt to sweating less, to conserving water, to utilizing what you have in a different way. It basically robs Peter to pay Paul. It's not ideal, it's not optimistic, but your body does adapt to changing situations. And you can survive many years, but maybe not as many years as you could if you are getting everything that was required of your body and of your system. This is why some people can practice ill health or poor health habits for years before their body catches up with them and says, I can't do this anymore. But by that time, it's mostly too late. Even though sometimes you can make up for a lot of neglect early on, by the time it really begins affecting the different systems of the body, Many times it's too late, but I would never throw in the towel. You can always be, make course corrections. So this this aspect, the, the idea of homeostasis, I knew about it in the body, but then I was introduced to it in psychology when I was in college, that we have an emotional set point. We have homeostasis or a predictable, consistent way of being in the world. And that if we have a high point, if we experience a lot of joy, a lot of excitement, we tend to ride that high for a period of time, and then it will dip down below the the zero point or below the balance point and go lower. So sometimes after a, a really high event, we experience a, a period of sadness or a period of fatigue or a period of uh, depression. And then we move back up to homeostasis or the normal range. I'm going to have to do this in a video, and I'll I'll probably do it this weekend, but it's easier to see visually how this works. But suffice it to say that you have acquiesced, you've adapted, just like the body adapts to lack of water, your body has adapted to a particular biochemical environment in order to function and survive. Now, some of these lower vibe experiences, these lower vibe emotions are not very productive for longevity in our system. So when I talk about lower vibe emotions, lower vibrational states, we're talking mainly about stress at this point. 
And if you think about stress, if you think about the, the dumping of adrenaline and cortisol into the system, it's meant to activate you to fight, fight, or flee. And it's very purposeful. In fact, you cannot get through a day without adrenaline or cortisol in your system. And so this whole idea about adrenal fatigue is not real because your body produces at all times plenty of adrenaline. It's just that there's other aspects of your biochemistry that are out of whack. So the stress response, there's an acute stress response and a chronic stress response. Acute stress response, there's a loud noise, there's an immediate threat, you get activated, you respond to it, and then you, you let it go. You, you come back to neutral and you, you've overcome the, the threat at that time and you've let it go. You relax. Just like the zebra on the savanna. You know, when the lion starts running after it, it runs like to get out, to get away, or sometimes it fights, but that adrenaline pumps through its system and mobilizes all the systems. Fight or flight or freeze. And off you go. And then once the threat, let's say, outruns the lion and the threat is gone, the zebras stop, they look around, assess the situation, and then they relax and begin eating again. They let it go. But as a human being, we tend to replay these situations, replay these perceived threats in where we live in this chronic state of stress. Chronic means long-lasting and ongoing, consistent. And so it's estimated that about 85% of the population live at about a 75% stress level all the time. It's like a slow drip IV of stress chemicals going into your system all the time. And the foundational emotion, the sponsoring emotion that sponsors stress or is responsible for stress is fear. It's the fear I'm not enough, I won't get done in time, it's like I'm late, it's based on our perception by and large. You can take an assessment of yourself and judge, for the most part, if you're in a high state of stress or not. The problem is, and this is where you need a, a certain level of awareness, the problem is, is that if you've been in a stressful situation for a long time, your body has begun to adapt to it as your normal. And so if you experience emotions that are uh, relieving or outside of stress, you may tend to create drama or create uh, situations where you feel the stress because it's normal, it's familiar. States of joy, states of excitement, states of love, that's unfamiliar. I mean, that's, you know, I don't mind visiting there, but I can't live out there all the time. I mean, I'm used to the drama. I'm used to, like, something's got to go wrong. And sometimes people search for what's going to go wrong next. So you can begin to assess where are you living on this continuum? You know, are, do you experience a high degree of stress? Do you experience a lot of anxiety? Do you experience some of these lower vibrational energies? And again, this isn't to say that you can't have periods of joy. You can't have periods of excitement, of laughter, of joy and fun and frivolity. But where do you, like when you relax, where do you fall back to? And like I said earlier, we are a psychic somatic system, a psychosomatic loop. What manifests in the body, these biochemical emotions in the body, affects the mind. So you can only think certain thoughts that are in alignment with that biochemical state or that feeling state or your vibrational state. 
And so when I say biochemistry, I'm also talking electromagnetic emanations from your body, which is all frequency. So hopefully I've conveyed at this point that it's a complex system. There's a lot of different things going on from different directions that are kind of all coalesce in the middle. And then you have this predominant feeling state that is your set point. Now, you know whether or not your set point is at a vibrational level that brings in the life, brings in the circumstances, bring in the intentions that you want. Many times we create intentions, our desires are in order to feel a higher feeling state. But that's not necessarily where we want to be. We don't want those external things to generate the feeling inside. It's just like allowing other people to generate the feelings of love within us. When you can be inner-directed, self-directed, and you can create the feelings of the wish fulfilled, then you begin attracting the things you want because you are then a vibrational match for that thing that you perceive will bring that feeling. So you have this vibrational set point that you've adapted to, that you've trained yourself to be in. How do you change it? Well, it's a little rough at first. It's a little uncomfortable at first, but it's not that uncomfortable. It's just not familiar. And this is where the old adage comes into play. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. So in order to get a new result, to, new, to vibrate at a new level, you need to begin thinking different thoughts. You need to have different actions in place, different behaviors from day to day. So you can begin tweaking things here and there to up-level your vibrational state. And over time, you will re-educate your system. And like I said before in the last episode, in about 30 days, you could rewire, re-educate your nervous system to operate at a whole new level. In an episode next week, I will talk about at least five ways to shift and change your vibrational set point. But uh, again, you know, there's lots of different, it's a complex system, a lot of moving parts. And, you know, I think anybody can shift their perspective, shift their body, shift their emotions if they're committed. I've done it myself. I've done it, but it's taken a long time. It's taken me a lot of time to get the fine points down, to calibrate, and to really gain control over it. So in order to help you out, I've created an online course. And that's what I do. I'm a teacher. And so I created a course. I combined my course, the Rewire Your Brain for Abundance, and my Epic Vitality presentation to provide you with a systematic process to rewire your nervous system, to reset your vibration. Your natural state should be, could be joy and love all the time or most of the time. If you have lows, it wouldn't take you very long to course correct because your normal, your homeostasis is at a level of joy. Remember when I said that we adapt to a certain set point as familiar, our familiar way of being, or our habitual way of being? It becomes our familiar, it becomes our normal. So when I was sitting in that psychology class way back when, and I was introduced to the idea of an emotional set point, I asked myself, who determines what the set point is? Who determines what homeostasis is? And the psychologist couldn't tell me at the time, my psychology teacher, so I said, what if we raise the set point? He says, well, theoretically, that's possible. So that's been my mission in my life 
to raise my set point up to where, you know, my normal is what other people's ecstatic states of joy are. My normal is that high. I can, uh, this is a personal thing, but on three different occasions, I was given ecstasy, which is supposed to give you all these feelings of love and compassion and empathy, just kind of melt your body. Well, on three different occasions, I've taken ecstasy. The other people, it totally shifted their, their, their chemistry, their biochemistry, did nothing to me, did nothing to me. I felt no different. That's because I was already vibrating at those higher states of love. I was already vibrating at that higher level. And so the ecstasy did nothing. It was ineffective. It was actually probably a lower vibration than what I was already at. But then again, I did not just happen here. I've conditioned myself. I've conditioned my nervous system. I have practices in place through neuro-linguistic programming, neuroplasticity, neuroscience, to actually rewire the body, rewire the brain. I understand the body, I understand the biochemistry, and I put that all in a practical set of practices and procedures and exercises inside this course. So you don't need to know the science. You don't need to know the why behind it, but I can tell you if you want to know. So at the time of this recording, we're just ahead of the curve. The, the course goes live. I'm going to do a live workshop, which will be on December 3rd. And there's some supporting, you know, videos and audio lessons, some couple of hypnotic audios to help condition the other than conscious mind. But it's an entire system to rewire your nervous system, to reset your vibration, to operate your life from a high vibe elevation. And I guarantee it. If you don't get the results that I promise that I'm even making available or, or suggesting that you're going to get here, then by all means, ask for your money back because I don't want it. I know the value in it and it's going to totally change your life. And hopefully my excitement is coming across because it's one of the more exciting offerings I've done in quite a while because I know how it will impact your life. It'll impact your ability to tap into your intuition it will accelerate your manifestations. So usually I suggest it. I suggest if you want to have a high vibe life, I'm going to tell you, you need to go to yesdaniel.com, check out the link to a high vibe life and get yourself involved in the workshop. It's going to be the greatest investment that you make for your life. It's going to be the greatest investment you make for your well-being. I guarantee it. So again, your vibrational set point is something that you've trained yourself into. You've acquiesced responsibility for it in one way or another. You've adapted it. You've adopted it. It's a default way of being. If you're not living in alignment with your desires and your intentions, it's because you've been irresponsible for your vibration. I don't, I don't know how to put it any other way than that. But it's not to say that you can't pick up the reins and get the horse back on the road. So to rewire your brain, to rewire or reset your vibration is not difficult. It's rather easy or simple. Let's say it's simple. It's not necessarily easy only because there's so many moving parts and there's so many things that you have in practice that get in the way. But once you clear those blocks, once you clear those things that are getting in the way, then your natural state of being is joy, love fun, frivolity, satisfaction. So until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner-directed. 
as you engage in the epic adventure.